I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It's Oregon week, 4.30 kickoff today at Husky Stadium. Weather, looks like it's going to be raining, so gear up. And again, they're going to run the half-price concessions. That's going to start two hours before game time. And then, so that'll start at 2.30 and go till about 3.30. Half-price concessions, and that does include beer. So a uh, good reason to come in early, kind of hang out in the concourse, grab yourself a beer, grab yourself something to eat. So it is Oregon week. So just remember, be friendly. We don't want any incidents up there with two people having too many cheap beers. But uh Oregon week and Jimmy, I don't know, some people – Thought he put his foot in his mouth. The other people think it's not a big deal. I'm in the in the camp that uh, you know it wasn't really that big of a deal. And Scott, you were there um, when he talked. It didn't seem to raise an eyebrow from anybody who was at the media gathering. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of the national guys put it out on Twitter, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a slow burn. It just seemed kind of like an explosion all of a sudden. But when he said it, did do you think it was that big of a deal at the time oh, I, he said I, it? I knew it was a shot. I knew he was taking kind of a shot at Oregon, or at least that's what I interpreted it as. And I I was like, yeah, big deal, whatever. And um, he, uh, you know, did he need to say it? I, in my opinion, he probably didn't need to. But, you know, it is what it is. They're, they're competing. He's going to take a little bit of a shot at, at teams. You got to remember, this is a team and people can get upset about this all they want, you know, on the Oregon side, but this is a team who's sold recruits on the, um, on the built for life program being racist. Yeah. And, and that frustrated the hell out of the Husky coaching staff, Chris Peterson, all the way down. And that was something Washington had to deal with on the recruiting trail for a long time. It ticked them off that they have to do it and had to do it. And that, that really, uh, set in motion some of the, some of the, I don't know if you want to call it academic smack talk that, that has happened. And, um, you know, look, Oregon has their appeal to recruits and they go after a lot of the same recruits that Washington goes after. But if Washington, if most of the kids that Washington is going to really be after are guys who aren't going to consider Oregon that heavily. Now that doesn't mean they're not, hold on, Kim. That doesn't mean they're not going to consider them. It just means that Washington and Washington and Oregon offer a lot of the same guys. But, um, you know, Oregon guys like, uh, um, Sir Mel's and Anthony Brown, who wanted to commit to Washington and decommit, Sir Mel's ends up committing to Oregon. You had uh, Ben Roberts, who did the same thing, both of those guys. In the long run, one of the reasons Washington stopped recruiting those guys, because they're like, dude, if that's where you want to go, go for it, because we don't want you if if that's the kind of school you're looking for. And Scott, this goes back quite a ways. You know, when uh, Jimmy first got here, he was a position coach, and I would say he was much more of a lead recruiter at that point in time and was probably the best recruiter on the staff. And you know, um, you know, the first couple of years that they were here, if you were going to point, you know, point to a guy who was the most dynamic recruiter, the most important recruiter, it was Jimmy Lake. So Jimmy was involved in a lot more of what was going on between Oregon and I think the hate, I don't know if that's a too strong of a word. There was a lot of run-ins with Oregon, you know, early on when Jimmy was here. And it has kind of festered. And I think that there's been a bad taste in Jimmy's mouth 
about the way that things have gone well, about with Oregon for quite well, some time. Well, let's just put it this way. It started right off the bat between Oregon and Washington. What, who was the first high-profile recruit that Chris Peterson got once he got to the University of Washington? It was Buddha. It was Buddha Baker. And guess where he was committed? Oregon. Well, and why, how did Washington sell him? They sold him on the next 40 years, whereas Oregon was like, hey, we've got this, we've got that, we've got, we've got all this flash and dash, we got 175 million uniform combinations, and you'll be on national television. And Washington sold him on, hey, you could have a lot of that same stuff here, and we'll prepare you for the next 40 years of your life, not the next four years of your life. And that ticked Oregon off. And that kind of set things in motion to where they started talking to recruits about what better, uh, built for life meant. And, uh, you know, the dog whistle that it sent out, that's what they were telling recruits. And, uh, that ticked Washington off. And so both of them kind of gone back and forth at each other. And Chris, it goes back further than that. It goes back to 2010 with Scott Woodward. But it goes all the way back to when we first started back in 97, 98 with Jim Lambright, you know, uh, against Oregon and recruiting. And, you know, what was it? Uh, Jim was, I, I, I'll paraphrase, but, uh, you know, he, he said they were teaching and preaching hate. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but it goes all the way back to Jim Lambright with the bad blood on the recruiting trail. Well, and it goes back to even 80s and 90s with Coach James. I remember, you know, we all remember. The stories about how they used to throw dog bones and dog biscuits at the sidelines in Autzen, you know, in the nineties when, you know, I think Hoffman actually grabbed one and started eating it. Um, you know, it just, those things have happened for a long time. I certainly remember after Washington beat Oregon pretty convincingly during the Reggie Williams years when Reggie went off in the second half and, um, you know, there were some Oregon based players that played for Washington that, uh, may have done some things at the center of the field that we probably can't talk about, but, um, you know, it's just it's just been a classic north south rivalry and it's got spice like or like Ohio State Michigan has spice. I mean it's kind of that interstate thing where you're 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 bordered up against each other and you don't really consider your in state rival kind of the main rival and you know, and with Washington State that rivalry is really diminished, even though when I grew up that was the rival. Um, so it's, it's definitely changed and it's really only gotten more and more heated as we've gone along. But, you know, my feeling on the thing about Jimmy's comments this week, it's, you know, you, you could be the conspiracy theory guy and say he laid those things out there specifically to keep the distractions away from what, what they were trying to get done on the field. So people wouldn't ask questions about scheming and players and things like that. They would just be caught up in this drama, which is fine. I mean, you asked if it was an either-or thing. I think it can be both. I think you can say that Jimmy Lake definitely put his foot in his mouth, but at the same time, it was a shot, and he probably and it was probably premeditated and and was done with with intent. So um, I don't know. I just think it's been kind of funny, but it, it's definitely one of the sideshows that you would expect with a pretty heated rivalry, and that's what we've got right now. I just think that Jimmy doesn't like Oregon, and I don't. Anybody who's been around Jimmy at all, I don't think that's a surprise to them. And I think when he was asked the question, I think that there was probably a lot more than he wanted to say. And I think he was kind of, how do you say it? He was wanting to go there, but he started to go there and maybe wanted to hold back and stumbled over a few words. And, uh, I think he, if, if it was, he was being perfectly candid, he just would have 
let loose, but I think he was trying to be guarded and he stumbled over his words a little bit. And, uh, that's just kind of what came out. All the more so. reason that if you don't do half ass, either do it or don't. You, you, if you're going to do it, then do it. Because honestly, he didn't like, like somebody said in the media, he didn't articulate it the best, you know? So well, I think the whole was, point. it was the form. It was the form that everyone glommed onto. It wasn't necessarily the fact. Now, granted, that it, it, what he said wasn't even really accurate. If you actually look at the offer, if you believe 24 seven and the kids, when they say they have scholarship offers from places like Oregon and Washington, if you add all these things up, Washington and Oregon are a lot more aligned in terms of who they offer than who they don't. I mean, it's just a fact. If you assume that those are facts, but also, he's not necessarily wrong in the sense that the academic prestige at Washington is certainly much, much higher than at Oregon. It's really not a debate. And, but it really just goes to show, does it even matter? I mean, it, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about football or are we talking about physics? I mean, it's well, six and one yeah. half dozen the other, I guess. Yeah, but you know, I mean, Scott, you've heard it and Chris, you've heard it. I've heard it, you know, where Washington always says that they would prefer to go after more guys that, um, you know, where the academics is more important to them and they compete more. And they talk about this. They tend to compete more head to head with the guys that they really want, you know, with USC, UCLA for academic guys and Stanford and Notre Dame. And I go back to the podcast that I did with Cooper Patagna. Now, he worked in the recruiting office at Washington. He worked in the recruiting office at Oregon. And he said the same thing Jimmy did, you know, that you know, that they tend to go after head to head more with the schools, you know, with a higher academic prowess is what Jimmy said. And like you said earlier with Mel's and, um, what's the other guy? Uh, ben, uh, Roberts. ben Roberts. Ben Roberts. And they, you know, if they're looking at guys that are more interested in Oregon, they're probably not a good fit. And Scott, when you, or Chris, when you start looking at who they've offered, you know, I think Jimmy's a little bit different. I think Pete had to change a little bit too. Sometimes you just have to offer guys to even get them interested. So I think they're, they're offering guys more, but, uh, I don't think there's anything really wrong with what he said. And I think it's just kind of low hanging fruit for people to talk about. Again, no, is it no. wrong? No, but he probably just didn't need to say it. But yeah, he didn't need to is. go there because you were the one, Kim, you were the one that asked the question. Please, please ask the question again right here. What was the question that you asked? Well, paraphrasing the question, I said, you know, it's one thing with the rivalry on the field between the players, but I know that there's a rivalry between the coaches out on the recruiting trail. Does that even come into play? And right. Yeah, I mean, that's basically was, what it was. All he had to say was that's overblown. That's all he had to say. I don't, I, he goes, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe that there's a lot to that. I think it's overblown. I have respect for those guys, but that's not, that's, we're, we're in a different, we're doing things differently. I can and promise just have you. Different, and you can point to it because Oregon, look at how many guys they offer. You can look at how many guys Washington offered. There are very clear, distinct differences between how Oregon and Washington recruit. That isn't to say when you put the Venn diagram together that there isn't a ton of crossover. Between the players Oregon offers and the players that Washington offers. Now, is that because Oregon offers literally everybody under the sun so they can't help but cross over into what Washington does a little bit? Yeah, probably. I'm sure there's something to that. But the bottom line is Washington, especially under Chris Peterson, has always prided itself on being very selective in their evaluations process. They don't offer a lot of guys because they want to make it a special offer. They've talked about that. But when you offer Ben Roberts, when you offer Sir Mel's, 
clearly those were guys that you that you were looking to take. Okay, so but were those guys you, offered before Washington offered? Or but it doesn't matter. It, it just think, doesn't well, matter. I think it does because I think there's a Scott. You but know, I'm not there's, talking, a, there's a Robert's lot of offers got an out offer, there. Robert's got an offer at, from Washington after Oregon. Sermel's got an offer from Oregon after Washington. Yeah, you know it doesn't that Oregon matter. offers guys after Washington does. You know that. But again, Kim, I'm not talking about what Oregon does. I'm talking about what Washington does. Yeah. What Oregon does, if people want to say that they're reacting to everything that Washington's doing, that's fine. If Oregon fans want to say that uh, Washington is simply reacting to everything that Oregon does, that's fine. Six of one half does the other. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I'm talking about Washington. And with Washington, they have laid it out where they want to put themselves on a pedestal as being different than what everyone else is doing. They want to be more like Stanford in the way that they offer kids. Absolutely. They want to make it a special deal. I'm not saying they don't believe that. What I'm telling you is the numbers don't bear that out, and that's obvious. Yeah, and I think you can manage those numbers and switch them around and move them around because, Scott, like I said, you know, uh, you know, Oregon – I don't think they offer guys. It's just like the JC guy. Um, who's that? Um, Keontae Scott? Yeah, you know, how many times has Oregon come in and offered guys that Washington has offered? Not necessarily because they want them, but it almost seems like they're just kind of. That's what thought Washington? Oh, I think that's some of it. Yeah. But they also know if Washington offers a kid that, that, that there's a lot less that they have to do from a vetting standpoint, from an Oregon standpoint. Yeah. So, um, and, and the other, the other, the other big thing around. too is if, if you, if you get a microphone and you get up on a stage and you start answering questions, at some point you're going to say something stupid. And it's also very difficult to vet the other way around guys, because again, Oregon offers so many players. You can't just sit there and cherry pick from a list that Oregon does because Oregon doesn't have a cherry picked list. They have everybody. And so that's what makes it very difficult on that stretch. But again, that's where you're also seeing a lot of their players also decommitting and going to other places right now. So it, that's just a thing that Washington doesn't want to do. They want to be as committed to that player in high school. They want to make them feel like they're already a part of the team. Clearly, Oregon doesn't feel that way. Oregon, again, recruits on a very different tangent. But the numbers themselves, when you look at the individual players, there's enough crossover there where Jimmy can't say with a straight face that they don't recruit the same guys because they do. Well, if Washington had Oregon's record this year, I don't think this would have been a big deal. It absolutely wouldn't have because you wouldn't have asked the question. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would have. I don't think so. I oh, think I know. So. I know the bitterness that's there. I know yep. the bitterness that's there. Okay. Well, if you think you, you were, you were going to get an actual answer from that question, okay. I thought I'd get an answer. I didn't think I'd get that answer. Well, but again, you got, you know, the, you got the answer that just <laughs> set off a thousand cannons. So we're gonna do a Q and A with Fetters, and fans can just ask him questions, and I guarantee it won't take long for Fetters to say something. He's gonna go, "Why did I say that?" You know, it, it happens. But you know, the other thing too is I'm just getting so tired. God, you know, it's just the week before, and I put this out the week before. People were criticizing Jimmy for saying nothing for the coach speak, and this week he says something, he gets lambasted, and now we are 100% back to coach speak from Jimmy Lake, and I think it's going to be a while before he ever says anything again. No, I just, to be honest with you, I I don't really buy that. I think Jimmy's always been pretty good about saying what he wants, even even if it is a bit ham-fisted and he doesn't really get it out the way he would probably want to. 
I think, to be honest with you, that's just simply a fan reaction when they're losing. Chris, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy comes since he's question. been the head coach, I mean, and we've talked about this, it was almost like he was creatively trying to say nothing, and it was almost a game with us at times where he just wasn't saying anything, you know, and then he finally came out with some pressure from the admins to start saying some stuff, and that's when he came out with the list and started actually talking about injuries because he just flat out wouldn't do it. So he's definitely opened up a little bit, and I know that there was some pressure from the administration because he just wasn't saying anything at all. So Well, I think that was specific to injuries because he wanted to play this game where it was like Chip Kelly back in the day. You're either dead or you're week to week. And it's like, okay, if you want to do that, that's okay. But we just saw that guy get taken off in an ambulance. How could he be week to week? Yeah. So there, there was some common sense here where I think the AD had to let him know, Jimmy. There, there's, there's just some things you've got to be fairly. Brian Bowman's listed as a starter on the depth chart this week. Yeah. No, I get it, and I get it, and and again, those are those are just dumb things that simply add to the the kind of the merry-go-round of distractions that they're trying to eliminate, but yet they can't stop from stepping in it every single well, week. I don't, stepping in it, I mean, you say stepping in it, I say saying something because, like I said, it just doesn't matter. If you say something, somebody's going to be outraged because that just seems to be the culture that we're in. And that's why coaches don't say anything anymore. And like I said, you know, after this week, I don't think Jimmy's going to be saying a whole lot of anything, you know. Um, you know, the the running joke uh, on Thursday was that uh, if they win, I was giving Mike a hard time. I said, so which one of us is going to ask, did the smarter team win? <laughs> you know, so uh, we'll see. Well, yeah, but when it comes to the depth chart, Kim, that's just something where it's just an unforced error. It's not a big deal, clearly. But when you have your head coach telling you that the player that's listed as a starter is out for the rest of the year. It just doesn't make, who are you going to fool with that? Like I said, it just, it's an unforced error. It's a gaffe. It's, it's, it's meaningless in the, in the long stretch, but it is another little paper cut that people can point to and say, yeah, that's why I don't look at the depth charts. They're meaningless. It's just like when he goes off on his little coach speak, doesn't mean anything. These are just little things that tick, 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 tick. They add up. Now, all of a sudden, you start to build the perception of what's going on. Do they really understand what's going on? Is the right hand talking to the left hand? What is going on here? And that's when, that's what's adding to it. Winning seems to take care of it. And like I said, you know, I don't. would this be a big of a deal if they were winning? I don't think so. You know, the better the player, the more they get away with. The more you win, the more you get away with. But, you know, if you're losing or you're not playing well, your margin for error is not real high. And, Jimmy's error, you know, margin for error since that Montana lost. I mean, he's just been on the firing line. And, Scott, this is a big game for Jimmy Lake. I mean, there are four and four. They lose this game. That temperature gets put right back up as hot as it was right after the Montana game. Absolutely. Absolutely. they got to win this game. They've got to figure out a way to win this game. Problem is, I... I just think unless Oregon makes some mistakes and doesn't quite play up to their capabilities, I just have a hard time seeing Washington win this game. Washington does not score many points. I don't have it in front of me. Chris, do you know what their points per game is for Washington? Points per game in terms of what, giving up? No, or that they're scoring. scoring. They're, they're averaging 22.8 points per game. Yeah, 23 points a game. That That's just not going to be enough against Oregon. Oregon's going to put up points against Washington. 
And I don't know how Washington's going to prevent that. I mean, Travis Adai, he isn't the biggest. He isn't the fastest guy out there. All the guy does is just go out and make positive plays. I've said it several times in my Pac-12 roundup that I post every Tuesday. I just, man, I just have a real hard time have a real hard time seeing Washington win this game. But if they can get some mistakes, they can force some turnovers. If they can uh, neutralize the pass rush of Kayvon Thibodeau, because, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's some other guys on the opposite side of Thibodeau who, who can go off here and there. But I think I think if you can neutralize Thibodeau a little bit, I think that Washington's got a chance to make some plays down the field. And Dylan Morris absolutely a, cannot turn the ball over, and B, he cannot miss on the rare opportunities he's going to have to make some big splash plays. And the 22 points a game that Washington is averaging, that's skewed by the 50-plus that they scored against Arkansas State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a struggle offensively. I'm going to disagree just a little bit with you guys in the sense that I don't believe the the hot seat will be raised to the point where it was after Montana because that was red hot. I mean, that's that was historic. When you, if you lose, because let's put it this way, every game in the Pac-12 guys has been a one-score game, right? Cal, yep. one-score game. Oregon State, one-score game. UCLA, one-score game. Arizona, Stanford, all one-score games. Close, close games. If this ends up being another one-score game, even if Washington loses, and they're losing to a playoff team, number four team in the country, I don't think Jimmy Lake's seat gets any hotter. I think people will be pissed. I think this people will be really this disappointed. This is not your typical fourth-rated team but in this the country. Is, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't that's matter. Where, that's where they're at. Yeah. That's where they're at. If, I, I when, agree if with they, Chris. If they lost that, to Colorado, yeah. if they lose to, like, Colorado, for instance, that would mean the thing gets ratcheted up to Montana levels. If they lose to Washington State, it would get ratcheted up to Montana levels. Uh, Arizona State maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent, but I don't think – it's if they lose a one score game in the fourth quarter to, to the number four team in the country, I'm not sure how that ratches it up, ratches it up anyway. Any what if, what if they lose by, what if they lose by three scores? Well, that's different. If they get blown out, that's going to be a different thing. Here's the other thing to consider too, guys. Um, in the last five games between Oregon and Washington, where one of the teams was a top five team in the country, and I'm talking about like. When Washington beat them 70-21, when Oregon was like number one, number two country, when they had Chip Kelly, the ranked team, the higher ranked team, won that game by an average of 32 points. So you could very well see a big-time blowout by Oregon if history holds. Well, and see, the reason I think the temperature gets turned up is because the way Washington has played – because Washington has the talent to beat Oregon. Washington has dramatically underperformed all year. You know, and this is the biggest game of the year. It's been pointed to since, you know, last year, you know, since Washington wasn't able to go to the championship game. Everything is pointed to this game. And I think this is going to be a good measuring stick. Can Jimmy get the talent on this team to the play, to play to the level of the talent that they have on this team? And I think it's a big measuring stick. You know, and if they can't go out and compete on a good level with Oregon and they lose by a lot, I think the winning this game would say a lot about Jimmy Lake, but I think getting blown out would say a lot too. Because at the end of the day, when you have a coach, you have to ask, is he the guy? It's just like you ask if, if the quarterback, is he the guy? 
and I think that's I think this game is could potentially answer a lot of questions. Is Jimmy the guy? And I think that there's going to be hope that he is the guy if he's able to defeat Oregon. But I think if he takes the, the talent that he has on this team and he really doesn't perform, this team doesn't perform today as many people expected before the beginning of the year, I think that might answer some questions that Jimmy may not be the guy. Well, I think that the, I think that the lines have already been pretty clearly drawn and a lot of people actually did draw this line even after the Montana game, which is kind of scary in and of itself because that was only the fifth game that Lake has coached as a head coach at Washington. But the bottom line is, is, and I've been on record as saying this too, is that if you're going to blow out, you know, the offensive coordinator at the end of the year, for instance, you might as well blow Lake out too because he's the one that's making these decisions. And if he can't get that one right, what confidence do you have that he's going to get the next one right? Um, but I will say this, and I agree with you 100%, Kim. If they can keep this tight, this is a statement game for them. There's no doubt about it. They have been looking at this game for the better part of two years if you take into account the, them missing the COVID year and not being able to play and not be able to represent the North. That was huge. I mean, they took that personally, and it was their fault. It was their fault. They, they, they're the ones that – it was the reason why it was got canceled, but they took that personally. And they, they have been, this is a red letter game. They have dialed this one up for a long time. That said, I also agree that if they lose big, that also tells you something about Jimmy too. And the fact that he may not be the guy, but again, if this, if this plays out like every other PAC 12 game has for Washington this year, fourth quarter, one score game, you know, if this ends up being the same type of game that Washington played against them in 2018 and up here in Seattle in 2019, I truly believe, this is my opinion, I truly believe that doesn't, that's not going to do anything for the, the, the heat index for Jimmy Lake in terms of hot seat. It's going to be, does he lose by three or four touchdowns? That will tell you if they're prepared. Can he get them ready? Or is he starting to lose them? Then those kind of questions start to get asked. And what I've heard, you know, was that Jimmy's plan was to downplay Oregon all week when that plan went to hell real quick on Monday. But, uh, you know, from my, uh, you know, the people I've talked to says behind the scenes, he's got these guys seething, you know, and they're like dogs on choker chains ready to go for this game. And we've seen the lack of emotion on the sideline and, you know, uh, you know, even going back to, you know, Coach Pete's final year here, you know, the lack of emotion coming out of the tunnel and lack of emotion on the sidelines. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, that's not going to be the same, you know, this coming, you know, this coming game, you know, this afternoon. So we'll see if that matters. But I think this is a big litmus test for Jimmy Lake, Scott. It obviously is. I mean, how Oregon is always a litmus test basically since Don, well, basically since the pick, it's been a litmus test for Washington because, you know, Rick Neuheisel goes down there. It, you know, I was talking with somebody else about it. Washington doesn't lose that game in 2000. What did they lose by four or seven points, whatever it was, down at, down in Autzen? Washington has a chance to play for a national title that year. And, you know, and Washington has has been – Anytime Washington plays Oregon, especially when they were losing, what was it, 15 straight or whatever it was to them, however many years they lost in a row, it, it was a test because every time, I mean, whenever you see Jim Harbaugh and the job he's done at Michigan, as good as they played this year, everybody said he's still 0 for against Ohio State. Well, Tyrone Willingham, 0 for against uh, Oregon. Steve Sarkeesian, 0 for against Oregon. Steve, uh, Chris Peterson was just two and what, two and five, two and six, or two, I'm sorry, two and four, 
against them, two and three, whatever it was against Oregon. So it's always, they're always going to point out that record and also the Washington state record. Um, when it comes to a Washington coach, the Oregon game, the Washington state game and the U S and whenever they play USC or UCLA, those are kind of the games that are the litmus tests for any Husky coach. What's, what's kind of funny, Chris is, uh, you know, people occasionally on the uh, message boards, you know, uh, quote, you know, the guys from Dogman and their company line, we disagree on stuff all the time, all the time. You and I disagree all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. No, it's just, it's not, I mean, I, I just don't think we, we have huge disagreements on these types of things. These are, these are just simply a matter of degrees. If talking about how hot the seat might be or how significant the, you know, the smack talk was and stuff. I just, yeah, these types of things to me are, are a little insignificant. And I think you're right at the end of the, at the end of the day, you said winning cures it all. And we wouldn't be talking about any of these things if they were winning games. It's, yeah. The biggest thing. The biggest disagreement that we have, and Scott and I are on one page, and you're on a complete another different page. Soccer sucks, by the way. So, I never have said soccer sucks. <laughs> I I said I don't get as into it as Chris or some other people do, but I don't. I no, don't group me in that group. I enjoy soccer. All right, all right. Well, you can go to a game then. But anyways, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll touch bases on the big win. I don't know, big win, but uh, kind of unveiling of a new team for the basketball team. And uh, Scott's got some recruiting updates for us when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, 4.30 kickoff at Washington today at Husky Stadium. It's just a reminder, two hours before the game. If you're inside, half-price concessions, and that does include beer. So get in there early, stay dry, and um, have a beer. And uh, just, hey, Chris, on Thursday, we had the unveiling of the basketball team. And I think the second half, when they turned it up a notch, we saw uh, what I had been telling people about a little bit this team was trying to stay under the radar, but I thought they were pretty impressive when they turned it up. They were. I mean, they definitely tried to do some of that stuff in the first half, but once I think they had a good feel for what Central was trying to do, they went in at halftime and really schemed up their, their I guess people are calling it a one-two-two trap um, in, in Central's backcourt. And, man, there was like maybe a half a dozen trips in a row where Washington was able to get a deflection, knock it out of bounds or get a steal that would lead to points. Um, it was really, really impressive. I mean, they started out really quickly in that second half, went on like a 24 to two extended run, which really kind of obviously put the game out of reach. But what I thought was really, really interesting other than the kind of the trapping and how the, the kind of Hopkins two, three Syracuse zone had more trapping elements into it in the half court. I thought was how they were almost able to do these entire hockey shift style subs where they subbed all five guys at a time. Um, I don't think we'll see that maybe again the rest of the year, but just to see it in the exhibition game was really, really interesting. And then obviously to see all the new faces and how they were able to kind of fit in, starting with Terrell Brown and, and Dejon Davis and uh, Emmett Matthews, PJ Fuller, 
and then some of the the new freshmen and JUCO guys like Langston Wilson, uh, Jackson Grant, uh, Samuel Aribi, uh, just so many new faces, and and just trying to make sure you're you're placing the numbers with the faces um, was interesting too. So I think this coming Tuesday, first game of the season, uh, Northern Illinois, it should be really really interesting if, to see if they can do the same types of things because. Trapping for 40 minutes, you can't do it. Emmett Matthews talked about it after the game. You just can't do it. But for them to kind of be able to, to kind of pick and choose their times to do it was really effective. And obviously they were able to make a lot in transition, which is something they talked about early this year. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, if you want to equate it to football, you know, when, um, you know, you have a long pass and then all of a sudden you're going hurry up because you have the defense back on their heels and you're just trying to get the ball snapped as fast as you can. And that's what they were doing. Um, you know, Thursday night when after a made free throw, they were trapping and then Central just, they had no answer for that. So they just, they just kept it up. And I thought one of the interesting things, Chris, and it's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on is that in the first half when they substituted, it always seemed like either Terrell or Dejon was always on the floor. And when they went to the full substitution with both Dejon and Terrell out of the game, things tended to slow down and the offense was a little bit more stagnant. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. If one of them isn't on the floor, who's taking uh, over at that position, because it seems like they're trying to find somebody to do that amongst Jamal Bay, Cole Bajima and PJ Fuller. So it's going to be interesting to see um, as the season progresses, uh, if one of those guys is able to step up if uh, they're not able to have either Terrell or Dejan on the floor at the same time. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And we got a little bit of a glimpse of Langston Wilson. <laughs> um, somebody asked post game, they asked Emmett and Terrell, who is the best dunker on the team? And they just laughed and they said, it's Langston Wilson. And it's not even close. And he has a different type of explosiveness that I haven't seen in a long time, Chris. Oh, no, he's a freak. I mean, he, I think a lot of people are already assuming that he's kind of the best in-game dunker that maybe they've ever had. And that's saying something considering they've had guys that have won NBA slam dunk contests before. So, um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And he, he showed a lot. Um, we'll see what he, I think defensively he could be just as effective because in the corners, you know, he was playing, uh, Hop was playing him in the corners when Jackson Grant was in the middle of the, of that, uh, back line in the zone. And if they, they was just nothing that, that he almost takes out half of the court. If you think about it because of his length, there's nothing. If it goes into that corner, the way they were trapping the corners, you're, you're not going to be able to get it out. So I think he's a guy that could be very effective, obviously in the transition with what he does going to the rim, being aggressive, but also defensively in terms of getting deflections and steals and starting to tr- the transition too. So I think there could be a number of things he could be very effective for as part of this team. Yeah, and uh, just really looking forward to see what the team brings on Tuesdays to start of the regular season. So um, it's going to be kind of a little bit of a work in progress. So I think they're, they'll get better as the year goes along and the chemistry fits in. But, you know, uh, anybody who was expecting to see the same type of team that they've seen the last two years, this is nothing even remotely close to what we've seen. So uh, pretty exciting. So I'm excited for basketball season. So uh, Scott Eklund. Anything going on in recruiting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I put out a list yesterday of the visitors expected to be on campus for uh, the game uh, later tonight and or later today. And, 
you know, it's, it's a good group. You know, there's some, there's some talented, uh, underclassmen that are going to be up on camp and on campus. Chase Burrell, the, the wide receiver out of, um, out of Oaks Christian, 2024 kid that has an offer. There's a big group of SoCal kids coming up. Apparently, um, there's a, there's a guy in the, down there that, that handles a lot of the kids. Um, in the Southern California, I think he does some seven on seven stuff down there and everything. And he's got a private jet. So he's been flying, flying them all over, all over the country to different schools. Well, Washington's their next stop. And, um, there, there's a lot of guys, um, a lot of local guys are also going to be on campus. And I've, I've asked several of them when they've told me that they're coming, I'm like, don't you have a game at, at like one o'clock today? And they said, yeah, but, uh, you know, the coaches, told us they'd love us to come down and we've really wanted to see this game. So, uh, we're going to come down right after our game. So Jason Brown out of O'Day is planning to be there. Jaden Lemar, uh, is another one. Those are two top, two of the top running backs in the state of Washington. Heck in the entire country for the 2023 and 2024 classes. Um, I know Jackson Stratton is supposed to be on campus. Uh, he's the quarterback commit for the 2022 class. Jeremy Bernard's going to be up on campus. He's a wide receiver commit. Again, the by the way. He's yeah, been up again. quite a bit. Yep. yep. And then, uh, um, keep an eye out for, um, Braxton Myers. He's a, uh, DB out of Texas, 2023 kid. He's also a, uh, they also are going to have Roderick Pleasant. That was a guy who announced that he was going to be on campus on Twitter. And then a name that people um, are going to be pretty excited to see, Xavier Brown out of modern day is up. He's a 2024 defensive back that Washington's already offered. So uh, lots of kids going to be up on campus. So the earlier people are out and they can see, and the more jazzed up you are, and even if Washington gets down, stay into the game because Washington's going to need you guys not only to win the game, but also to show these uh, recruits that, hey, these – these fans are into it no matter what, and and uh, that's something they want to see when they come up for a for a game experience. I know you hate it when I do this, and hopefully I'm not catching you off guard. Uh, numbers, where are we at? Uh, commits, how many do they have room for? Nine commits, and 15 or 16 is still the number they're working on. So, so. let's say let's say six uh, six spots left. Okay, six seven spots. Yep. Uh, position uh, priority positions. Priority positions, defensive back. Uh, they've already got TJ Hall. By the way, he's taking an official visit next weekend for Washington's game against, um, Arizona State. And, uh, so, but he's the only defensive back commit that they have. And so that's a guy, that's a position to keep an eye on. I think they're going to take at least two more guys, probably both corners or one corner and one possible swing guy that could play slot or safety. Um, I think they want, they would like to bring in a defensive tackle, but they don't, they, they aren't necessarily going to look for one. My guess is you'll probably see a portal guy brought in for that. Um, linebacker is probably one. Uh, DeAndre Gill is a kid they just offered. He's a UCLA commit out of Kentwood. He's a guy to keep an eye on here over the next couple, couple weeks as we get, you know, what is it? Six weeks until signing day, whatever it is, six and a half weeks to signing day. Um, so Washington's going to be heavily involved with him. Um, trying to think, uh, they're, they're pretty much done at wide receiver with Jeremy Bernard and Denzel Boston. Um, offensive line, probably not. I don't see anyone else coming in. They've got two guys, uh, in, um, in, uh, Vega Ijuane and Parker Brailsford, the only guy they're really after. 
along the offensive line right now at least is Josh Connerly. Um, kid, um, to keep an eye on is Olsen, the kid out of Napa Vine who's committed to Oregon State. That's where his dad went. So it's going to be tough to pry him away, but I know he's been up at a couple Washington games. Um, who's the know, kid that's committed to USC? They're done at tight end. Uh, the kid who's committed to USC. Offensive oh, committed to USC. I said Oregon State. I meant USC. That's so Olsen. Yep. Yep. Olsen. Um, and then, um, yeah, they've already got their, their running back. The guy that they were going to bring in, Emeka Megwa, he enrolled early. So he actually reclassified to the 2021 class. But because that class is so loaded, I, I don't think they're going to take another tailback in this class. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I, you know, another outside linebacker, maybe an inside linebacker, but I think they, on, I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they got, if they got DeAndre DeGill to come in and maybe one more outside, cause they've already got out, they've already got Lance Holtzclaw, um, a kid out of Arizona that's already on the, on their uh, commit list. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them move Cooper McDonald back inside. That's where he was originally recruited to play. So, um, definitely something to keep an eye on and how they're going to move things around. And, and, uh, you know, don't be surprised if Washington is pretty active in the, in the portal here over the next, um, you know, after, after signing day, they'll be able to kind of reassess things, where things stand, see if they got any guys on the landscape of the recruiting, uh, you know, their recruiting roster and, and list that they can still go after for those last couple months before, before signing day in February. Uh, and then they might get real, 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 uh, interested in some guys, uh, expect a defensive tackle or a defensive end guy. Cause I think Washington's trying to get a little bit bigger, but also get a little bit more twitchy on the outside so that they could put a big body like a 275, 280 pounder on the outside that can still get after the quarterback. Uh, just real quick, Scott, to get to that 15, 16 number. They're going to need about eight guys to leave either the NFL yeah. or enter the transfer portal. So when you start looking at the numbers, it's not easy to get to that number right nope. now. It is not. It is not. So, um, yeah, it, you know, guys that, that they are not that, that nobody, I mean, they might be anticipating them leaving, but right now we don't know who those guys are. And, um, you know, even with Tim Horn, transferring out and i know of one other guy who's already told them that he's going to transfer out just hasn't been announced it yet so uh we've got that story ready to go but you know uh <laughs> it they still need they still need about six more guys to make the decision to leave now i think trent mcduffie's leaving um i i think he's probably gone after this season i think if kyler gordon continues to have a really good year i think he's probably gone um you know but there's Kate some other guys. Yeah, Kate Otten, we already know. I think that's already a guy they were counting in the number. Same with uh, Jackson uh, Kirkland. Those are both guys that they were counting on to to head out to the NFL early. But other than that, man, right now things are kind of up in the air and very fluid. You didn't talk about a recruit, and if you don't bring it up, I, you're just, it's going to be the first question that's asked. You're spacing. Josh no, I'm not. Josh I already Conner. talked about him. I didn't hear you talk about him. I talked about him in the offensive lineman. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's the only guy they're recruiting. What are the chances on Josh Connerly right Very now? Very low. Jeez, Mr. Optimistic here. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they were very high at the beginning. They are not very high now. But that, that can change. What if, Washington, 
what if Washington goes on a what is what would this be six game run to end the season, yeah. and they they end up in the conference title game and he sees some improvement and it, I think it's already pretty much a foregone conclusion that that John Donovan is not going to be here next year so there's going to be a new offense. Um, he's got a great relationship with Scott Huff. I think that could change, but right now, if he was choosing right now, I think it's Michigan, and if it's not Michigan, it's Oregon. So, yeah. Beat Oregon. That's <laughs> all it takes. That's all it takes. Gotta beat Oregon. You got the talent to do it. Just gotta go figure out. it out. Gotta go figure out. out how to get it done. Just go out and win. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Final thoughts? Yeah, no, I just obviously <laughs> winning is the key, right? That's the, that's the whole ball game right there. But again, beating a top four team, it, it sounds easy enough when you look at what they've done and, and, and you think that they maybe the results have, gone a certain way so you think Washington could match up in certain in certain aspects um I think it's obviously again another strength on strength matchup with Oregon's offense against Washington's defense um weather could play could play a factor as well we'll see what happens there but clearly this is a situation where Washington needs to play above and beyond what they've been uh, doing up to this point to make it um even really even close because again top four team that's quite a mountain to, to, to climb over. But if they can get it done, that will certainly take a ton of pressure off of Jimmy Lake and, and give him a little bit of breathing space. Scott Eklund, final thoughts? Well, I kind of just summed it up. Beat Oregon. Got to yeah. figure out a way. D- Dylan Morris has to play his best game as a Husky. It literally has to be his best game as a Husky. And I, that doesn't mean he has to throw for 350 yards and five touchdowns. But when he gets the opportunity to make plays, he has to hit them. And he can't be hesitant to throw the ball. He's been coached not to turn the ball over. And I think at times that that shies him away from maybe making some throws that he could make. Their their offensive line has to play well. They have to run the ball. They, they have to keep Oregon's offense off the field as much as possible. Oregon's offense is really good. Um, it's not great. I don't think Anthony Brown is as good as a lot of people think he is. He just has had a lot of time to sit back there and throw when you make him move and when you make him make some decisions that he wasn't ready to make. Um, he can throw the ball up for grabs and that's when Washington needs to take advantage as well. Washington needs a couple turnovers. And like I said, they need to play a really good game offensively and make plays when they can. If Washington does those things, they'll get a real close win. Interception early against Anthony Brown, I think, would rattle him. I think he's the type of quarterback that would lose his confidence real early. So early interception with Trent McDuffie or Kyler Gordon, I think, would set the tone. And uh, that would be a game changer because I think it would change their entire passing game. But they've got a pretty good running game, and Washington's been susceptible to the run all year. Uh, hopefully just one of the things that doesn't get lost in this week with all the Jimmy Lake stuff and Oregon week, the Montlake Future stuff has been something that was really interesting. And kudos to Chris Fetters. He did an outstanding job. The guy who's uh, running things with the Montlake Future thing is uh, Pete Scheimer. And you had a great question and answer period with Pete. And I thought he broke it down really well and explained it. Uh, essentially, it's an extension of the Built for Life program. Chris Peterson has uh, got a lot to do with that. And and, uh, you know, instead of just a bag of cash, they're setting things up with Washington companies that are going to last well after your uh, football, basketball or whatever career you've had at Washington. And it's going to lead to opportunities post-college. So really good stuff with uh, Pete Scheimer. And I would definitely recommend if you missed that. 
go back and take a look at it. Uh, really, really good stuff. Opening uh, basketball season on Tuesday. Excited about that and see what this team does bring. Um, I've been, uh, you know, since I went to the practice probably back in June and saw what the team was doing. Uh, I kind of been excited and you guys got a glimpse of that on Thursday night. So uh, 430 game, Scott, over under what time we get out of there. I'm going to be out of there by 11. So I don't know when you guys are getting out, but I'm going to be out of there before 11. I'm hoping 1030. Your kids, they're old enough. They'll sleep in. They don't even get up until what, nine or 10 o'clock. You could sleep in. Yeah, 9 or 10 o'clock East Coast time. Yep. <laughs> so, anyways, hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go, dogs. 